Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to see you. I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming with us or you're here in person. Happy first weekend in March. I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, the less I like cold weather. So I'm looking forward to spring. Now, next Sunday, next weekend is daylight saving. It's already here. So you're going to lose an hour's sleep. So you have to tune in early. You have to show up early. But as an incentive, we're going to have donuts next week. Yes, we're going to have donuts for everybody, for, for both services. So I want to encourage you to make sure you set your clocks correctly for next weekend. And if you're joining us for the first time, whether you're streaming with us or here, I do want to say we really mean what we say in that welcome video. We're not going to make you stand up and introduce yourself or shake hands with a complete stranger. We're just glad that you've joined us and given us your time. And I honestly think you've joined us at a good time because we kicked off a new series a couple of weeks ago called Signs. And this series is based on the book of John in the New Testament written by the disciple John. And John's getting on up in age and he records for us uh, the signs or the miracles that he's witnessed by doing ministry with Christ. And really John's goal is to point us to the person of Jesus. And if you look at the disciples, if you look at John, you know, they didn't believe Jesus simply because somebody told them to. They believed Jesus because of what they experienced. They believed Jesus because of what they had seen and experienced doing life with him. They looked at the evidence, in other words. And really, that's what we should do. And that's the point of this whole series. We shouldn't just have faith, but we should have the proof and the evidence behind our faith. And if you were with us the first week, Matt talked about how when we're young, we're told what to believe. You know, when we believe that because we trust the person that told us, you know, maybe it was a parent or a grandparent or a coach or something like that. And because we trust that person, we, we believed. But a lot of us, we've never really taken the time to investigate and look at the evidence that supports our faith. And when you read this book of John, John didn't just believe because somebody told him to or because of an ancient writing. He believed because he experienced it and he saw it with his own eyes and he recorded it for us. As a matter of fact, this is how John said it, and it's the first verse that's on your outline. If you're following along with the notes, they're available in the Church Center app on your phone, or there's a link online if you're watching with us online. But here's what John said. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. The one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we've seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So what John's saying, he's like, look, Jesus 
wasn't a figment of our imagination. Jesus wasn't a ghost. We saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We spent time with him. And John says, through these signs, these miraculous signs that I'm writing about, I came to put my faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want you to do the same. And what's so cool about the book of John, when you get to the end, he tells us what his agenda is for writing his book. And Matt's looked at this both weeks of this series. We're going to actually look at this verse every single week to remind us. It's not on your outline, but I'm going to read it to you. John 20, 31. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life uh, by the power of his name. In other words, the one that I, these miracles that I selected to write about, that's what John's saying, I, I came to this conclusion myself. And I want you to come to the same conclusion that this person, Jesus, this teacher, this rabbi, th this person that I spent three years doing ministry with is in fact the Messiah. He is in fact the giver of eternal life. So again, the whole point is John didn't just believe simply because of faith. He believed because of the evidence. And he recorded that for us so that we can arrive at that same conclusion. So the very first learning is this. To arrive at what we believe, we must examine the evidence for Jesus. That's what we're doing. And John organizes the book into these seven signs, these seven particular signs we're going to look at. And if you weren't with us the first couple of weeks, I'll just catch you up real quick. But the first week, Matt talked about Jesus' very first miracle, right? Turning water into wine. And that really signified the end of the rituals and the law of Moses and the beginning of something new in Jesus Christ. And it was that first miracle at that wedding that the disciples started to believe. They started to see who Jesus truly was. And then last week he talked about the, the Roman guard or the Roman uh, soldier, the official, that had so much power. He, he was way up in the hierarchy of the Roman government. And he begged Jesus to come and heal his son. He had tried anything and everything, all the best doctors, and his son was still sick. And what happened was this Roman official had heard the rumors about Jesus. And he had heard what Jesus was doing all throughout the region. And he believed the testimony of these people that were telling him about Jesus. So he begged Jesus to come and to heal his son. And when you think about that, that's what Jesus really asked us to do. Today, right? Believe the testimony of other people. In other words, believe the testimony of John and what he's recorded for you to come to faith in me. And this second miracle or the second sign that Matt looked at really points us to who Jesus is. Again, solidifies who he is, but really what Jesus is up to in the world. So today, the third miracle we're going to look at is found in John chapter 5. And I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. And it goes like this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So let's just stop right there for a minute and try to imagine what's going on 
at, at this scene. These are incredibly desperate people. They're, they're sick with all kinds of diseases. They're blind, paralyzed, lame, and they're trying to get well. And you may be thinking, well, why don't they just go to a doctor? And as Matt alluded to last week, doctors were only really for the rich. They didn't have MedExpress or a place you could just go and get treated back in that day. So people would rely on maybe prayer or miracles or even old wives' tales and superstition. And this pool at Bethesda was really, the story kind of hinges on a superstition. And there was a legend that an angel of the Lord would come down to the pool and would stir up the water. And the first person that was in the water would be healed. And so you can imagine all these people trying to be the first one in that pool to be healed. And the reason I say this is kind of built around a little bit of superstition maybe, and that was kind of what they thought was uh, the pool at Bethesda has actually been uncovered through archaeology. They found it, which is so cool. But underneath that pool was a, a spring, and so what happens with the spring is it pushes water up, right? So that water would bubble, and they thought, okay, this is the angel of the Lord stirring that water. If I'm the first one in, I'm going to be healed. But it was complete chaos whenever that water w- would bubble up. Everybody fighting to be the first one into the pool. So let's read on. In, in verses 5 and 6, it says this, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? So more than likely, somebody drops him off every day at the pool at Bethesda, or he's, he's homeless, right? He's a beggar, and he probably, maybe he lives there, but for some reason, and, and we don't know clearly why, but Jesus chose to talk to this particular man who had been lame for 38 years. And he asked him, do you want to get well? And here's his reply in verse 7 of chapter 5. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So here's this man who's been in the same condition now for, for 38 years. And every time that water bubbles up or that water stirs, He can't move fast enough to get into the water. And so Jesus says something to him, and and I'm not sure if anybody else heard it, but Jesus looked at this man, and you can imagine the desperation and the hopelessness in his eyes, and this is what Jesus says to him. John chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now remember, who's writing this? John. He's writing this story for us, not because he's heard it, but he's there. He's witnessing, witnessing it, and he's writing down and recording what he saw happen. And here's the cool part, John chapter 5, verse 9. Instantly, instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat, and he began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So he's probably rolling up this sleeping mat, and he turns around to, you know, probably thank Jesus, and Jesus is already gone. We, we read later, and, and I've had the advantage of reading it, but Jesus disappears in the crowd, and he, he performs this miracle, and he didn't want to make a big deal out of the miracle, and so Jesus kind of slipped off into the crowd. 
But the key part of that verse is he performed it on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Sabbath back then, you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. So let me continue to read. In in verse 10 and 11, it says this. So the Jewish leaders objected because he was walking and carrying his mat on the Sabbath because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And they said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Now, on the Sabbath, particularly in Jerusalem around the temple, religious leaders would have been walking around looking for people who were violating the Sabbath, making sure people were obeying the Sabbath laws. And they see this man carrying this mat, which was forbidden by one of their laws. Now, think about this man who's who's been healed, right? He doesn't care probably uh, about their religious rules or rituals or what he can't do. He's been healed. And he's probably going to the temple to thank God for this healing, right? The guy probably hadn't been to the temple in 38 years because some of the other translations say he was lame. And they knew him. The religious leaders knew this guy. And knew, obviously, something had happened because he's now walking around and carrying his sleeping mat. Yet they call him out for violating the Sabbath. They don't praise God for the healing in this guy's life. They call him out for carrying his mat. And see, what the religious leaders did is they would build extra rules and extra requirements around the Ten Commandments. Because they felt like it was their responsibility to keep people from breaking the commandments. And so they added all of this stuff to God's law. They had uh, 39 categories of stuff you couldn't do on the Sabbath alone, just for the fourth commandment. Not 39 things you couldn't do, but 39 categories of things that you couldn't do. Again, these weren't from God. These were put in place by the religious leaders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, to, to protect the people from breaking the fourth commandment. You know, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But see, the whole point of the Sabbath or that fourth commandment, they missed it. The whole point of the fourth commandment is to take a break from your labor, not to take a break from love. Right? The whole point of the fourth commandment is to take a a day off from your vocation, but don't take a day off from compassion. And this is exactly what happens when religious people or religious leaders or church people forget the why behind the what. They miss the entire point. So learning number two, whatever is best for people should be most important to us. That's what Jesus is demonstrating here because it goes against their Sabbath rules. He shows compassion and love to this person that he heals. And it shows us that should be our priority, compassion and love, regardless of what else we've got going on. But they wanted to know, who told you you could carry that mat? Let's continue. John 5, 12 through 13. Here's the Jewish leaders. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. Remember, he he probably turned around to thank him. Jesus was already gone. 
And it's so awesome. He's probably still, you know, got that mat slung over his shoulder. He doesn't even know who it is that healed him. He's been sick for 38 years. And he's probably thinking to himself, um, hey, guys, you know, I didn't mean to break your rules. I didn't mean to break the Sabbath, but I've been healed. I've been healed. I decided, instead of listening to you guys who have ignored me now for 38 years. As a matter of fact, you guys have told me the reason I'm lame and the reason I'm this way is because of my parents' sin. Yeah, I chose to listen to the guy who actually healed me instead of you guys who have ignored me. The religious leaders wanted to know who had told him to do this because now not only was he in violation of one of their Sabbath rules, but so was whoever told him to pick up his mat and to walk. But you know, this guy wasn't a bit concerned about their religious rules in their religious establishment. He's walking, doing something he hadn't done in 38 years. And later on, and we're going to see it in a minute, we, we find out he figures out it was Jesus who healed him. And then when you think of that, when we figure out who Jesus is, we don't really care about some rule or some uh, burden somebody's tried to place on us, or guilt. You ever had people put guilt on you? Christian guilt? You know, you're not good enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't come to church enough. You're not faithful enough. You should stop doing this. You should start doing this. Once we truly discover who Jesus is, all that stuff people try to put on us doesn't really matter, does it? Because we know that Jesus accepts us wherever we're at. We know that Jesus heals our soul. We know that Jesus loves us just the way we are. And I think that's where this guy is. I don't care about your rules. I've been healed. But later on, he bumps into Jesus. And I think it's intentional. Jesus shows back up to kind of teach this guy uh, some more but when, he, when there's this exchange between this guy and Jesus, it's a little confusing when you read it. So I want to look at it right now. But it's in verse 14 and 15. And it says this, But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, Now you're well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Now, think about that for a minute. What worse could happen to this guy? Is that a little bit of Jesus' humor? You know, we know Jesus used humor sometimes in the, in the Scripture. Hey, you better stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. The guy's been invalid for 38 years. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell him is, listen, your body's been healed. That's great, but your soul needs to be healed. Jesus wasn't saying you're going to be sin-free. But he's telling him, look, I will show you the path to get sin out of your life. I will show you the path where you become more like me and you you get meaning and purpose and forgiveness in your life. Don't do life without having forgiveness of your sins. So the guy runs off and what's he do? He tells the Pharisees, it was Jesus who healed me. Listen to this, John 5, 16 through 18. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, My father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder 
to find a way to kill him. For, not, for he not only broke the Sabbath, now he's in more trouble. He called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. These religious leaders are like, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is breaking our rules, healing on the Sabbath, telling this man to get up and pick up his mat and, and to be healed and to walk? Who is this Jesus? And I think that's the exact question you and I have to wrestle with. Who is Jesus to us? That's the question that John, the writer of this sign, this miracle, is trying to get us to wrestle with. Who is Jesus to us? That's the whole point. You know, we go back to that verse 2031. That's the whole point in John writing this. To get you and I to wrestle with who Jesus is. Whether you're already following Jesus and you have a relationship with Jesus or whether you don't, we got to wrestle with that question. And here's the best way to find out who Jesus is. And it's learning number three. If we want to know what God is like, we're to look at Jesus. We're to look at Jesus. That's why Jesus came, wasn't it? To show us what God is like. And so we have to come to grips with that question. At some point in our life, who is this Jesus? And then Jesus answers their questions in the very next verse. John 5, 19. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus is saying to them, he's saying to us today, anyone and everyone who will listen, if you want to know what God is like, you need to look at me. You need to listen to me. You need to follow me. Let me teach you. And then towards the end of this chapter, Jesus says this to the Pharisees. John chapter 5, verse 39 through 40. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Now, John tells us that this Jesus who was revealed to us is life, right? We read that verse earlier. He tells us this Jesus is eternal life. And so what Jesus was saying to those religious leaders, those Pharisees, isn't that what you guys have been looking for? Isn't that why you mull over the scriptures and you read the scriptures and you memorize the scriptures? You're looking to find the meaning of life and the purpose of life and how we get eternal life. They were searching because they're no different than us. There's something built into each and every one of us that wants to live forever, right? That has this desire to live forever. So we search for that answer. And Jesus is saying, you guys are missing it. It's as if Jesus is telling them, hey, listen, guys, up until now, you, you've had the scripture. Up until now, you, you know, you've had the prophets and what they taught. and You've had the traditions and the stories. You've had the wisdom of King Solomon. You've had the Psalms of King David. You've, you've had the promises of Abraham. You, you, you know, you had the Ten Commandments. 
Yet now I'm here, and to steal a phrase from John, the word, me, has come alive. I'm standing right in front of you, and you guys are missing it. And again, we know from reading the book of John that he tells us, John says, this is why I follow Jesus, because he is life. He is eternal life. So why does all this even matter? Because you and I still live in a society today where people are trying to answer those questions. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? How do you get eternal life? Am I going to live forever? Where am I going to live when I die? We still have a society where people are searching for answers and they're looking for answers anywhere and everywhere except towards Jesus, just like these religious leaders. They were looking at everything they could find, but it was standing right in front of them. So we have a responsibility not to bash people over the head with the scripture or to tell them, you got to believe this, but we have an obligation to point them in the right direction, to point them to Christ. And here's what Jesus made so clear in this miracle. He's love, right? He showed love and demonstrated love and compassion by healing this man that went totally against the religious establishment to prove a point of what the most important thing was. Jesus' love. He passed all of their cultural traditions, all of their religious rules and regulations, and he helped this man who needed him. He didn't care what the religious establishment thought or how it broke one of their man-made rules. He's love, and he demonstrated love to a person that they had ignored for 38 years. As a matter of fact, they just told the guy, you're, you're in this condition because your parents are sinful. How compassionate is that? But he demonstrated, above all else, love. And why is that so important to us? Because we have to get love right. You and I have to get love right. We have to follow this example, and we have to get love right. So here's learning number four. If we get love right, it changes the whole world. Think about that. Love is still a huge part of our culture. Love still shapes a lot of aspects of our culture. As bad as culture may seem, as off as we are morally in our world, love still shapes a lot of things and a lot of things that get done today. The love Jesus demonstrated, it's still present in our society. Because we still benefit from God's presence, don't we? The Holy Spirit, whether we follow Christ or not. But we've got to get love right. Think about it. How does the world know that it's wrong to treat people poorly? They may not follow Christ, but they still know it's wrong to treat people poorly. Why? Because Jesus embodied that. Jesus demonstrated that. Jesus was love, and that's carried over into our society. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God 
is what? Is love. God is love. This whole concept of God is love really hadn't probably been recorded this way until John comes along and writes it. And John says, listen, after my experiences with Jesus, after these three and a half years of doing ministry with him, I've come to the conclusion that God is love. Completely and thoroughly, God is love. So what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? God is love. And we see Jesus demonstrate this love in this third sign. It means that if there's anything in our religion, anything in our politics, anything in our belief system or in our traditions or our family that causes us to not be loving, then God's not in that. Right? That, that's what that means. If we're on the wrong side of love, then that means we're on the wrong side of God. And that's where these religious leaders found themselves. In other words, if anything in our faith gets in the way of us loving other people, then we've got the wrong version of our faith. That's what Jesus demonstrated in this miracle. And it's just one more of the signs that John lays out for us clearly and articulately because he witnessed it. It's just one more of those miracles that point us to who Jesus is and what Jesus really was up to in the world. And through this miracle, John's saying, hey, I'm convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm convinced that he is the Messiah. And I am convinced it's in him that we find life and we find eternal life. And the cool thing about that, it's available to all of us, right? That eternal life, that gift of Christ's salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, it's available to every single one of us. Doesn't matter where you were born. Doesn't matter how rich you are or poor you are. Doesn't matter the color of your skin or, you know, what you do for a vocation. Doesn't matter what your past looks like or what you've done or what you're even doing today. It's available to all of us. And so my prayer is that we will truly examine the evidence. We'll examine these signs that John's recorded for us. And we'll reach the same conclusion that John reached. That Jesus is life. Jesus is the Messiah. And the other cool thing when you, when you look at this and you look at those religious leaders, can you imagine... When Jesus is standing there telling them, look, I'm standing right in front of you and you're missing it. You've been searching for the answers. You've been looking and I'm right here. I'm sure they were doing a gut check of their own life up to that point. And the beauty of following Christ is we can always do those gut checks, right? We can look at our life and we can say, hey, you know, I'm on the wrong side of love in this area of my life. The way I've been treating that person at work, I'm on the wrong side of love. And we can always adjust. We can always change. And that's what the journey with Christ looks like. I, I remember as a kid, you know, it, the church made me feel like that once I accepted Christ, I should be perfect. If you know me, I am far from that. I don't have my life together yet. You'd think by my age, I'd get it together, but I don't. 
But that's what the journey's like when the Lord shows us something that may be on the wrong side of love from where he's at, we can adjust. And when we follow Christ, that's what we want to do. And that's why we always say our character becomes more like Christ each and every day of that journey. So the beauty is we can always evaluate and we can always default to love because we will never go wrong with love. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this book of John that records these miracles, these signs that John witnessed for us. Lord, it gives us the opportunity to believe the testimony of others that actually experienced it. It gives us the proof for our faith. Lord, it's amazing just how full of grace you are and full of love and how patient you are with each of us. You teach us, you show us things, and then we can change. We can adjust our lives. Maybe you're here today and or you're watching and you'd say, you know what? God, that's me. I'm standing right in front of you. I'm searching for answers and I haven't seen you up until now. Maybe you see him now for who he is, that he truly is the savior of the world. As we're praying, why don't you just turn your life over to him? It's never too late to do that. A relationship with Christ is is not about those rules and those regulations. It's about asking for forgiveness and Christ making you whole. Christ not just healing your body, but Christ healing your soul. Or maybe you've been watching today and listening and you're like, man, there's a couple areas in my life that are on the wrong side of love. Just pray and ask God to help you to change those. We've all been on the wrong side of love. It's not that big a deal to turn around and go in a 180 degree different direction. Ask God to give you the strength. He promises all throughout the scripture, if he asks us to do something, he's going to give us the strength. God, you know the things that are on our minds right now. The things we've identified where we're on the right side of love and where we're on the wrong side of love. And so I'm praying that you would give each person watching, each person here, the strength to turn and to change. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being patient with us. Lord, I just want to also just ask for a special prayer for each person watching, each person here, what they do each and every week to love the people you put around them. Give us more of that each and every day. In Christ's name. Amen. Real quick as we finish up, if you would like to finish filling out that electronic connection card, again, we're not going to track you down. Uh, We're not going to show up at your house or anything. But if you want to be updated each week through our newsletter, we'll put you on our newsletter list. Plus, if you have prayer requests, uh, we have a faithful prayer team that prays through those each and every week. If you're worshiping today through generosity, you can do that in the black boxes or you can do that online through uh, the Church Center app or through our website. Next Sunday, you lose an hour's sleep, all right? It's the bad one, all right? The daylight, it'll be great when we have more sunlight at night, but it's the bad one. So join us next Sunday at 9 or 10.30. Uh, God bless you guys. I hope you have a terrific week. Get outside and enjoy the weather.